We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 622 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, July 31st, 2023. It is the final day of the month of July 2023. An all-time month in Washington, D.C. area sports. I feel like we need to do a special goodbye to the month of July 2023 with what happened in the month. The sale of the commanders from Dan and Tanya Snyder, from Danya to the Josh Harris group. If I could give the month of July 2023 a big bro hug, uh, I would. July 2023, your service is appreciated. You will never be forgotten. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Hope that you had a nice weekend. Did your weekend include attending the commanders training camp practice at the team facility in Ashburn, Virginia? On Saturday morning, the turnout for that practice ended up being outstanding. An estimated 10,000 fans. We are in the midst of a revival of the fandom of our football team. I, on this show, have a lot on the commanders for you. Next segment, we will discuss the revival, the rebirth. Uh, Could it be, might it be, that Washington, this coming season, for the first time in years, will have an actual, real-life home field advantage. Yes, I said home field advantage. Uh, FedEx Field, of course, is known for being dilapidated uh, and for being taken over by opposing teams' fans. But what if FedEx Field this coming season is known for having a home field advantage? Don't laugh, okay? Don't laugh. Lots of good stuff from head coach Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conferences on Friday morning and Saturday morning off what's happening with fans. Uh, You will hear those comments next segment, during which I also will discuss the latest on the saga that is the name. You know, we over the last few days have had some rather notable things said by Ron and by team president Jason Wright regarding a potential name change. Uh, I'm surprised that these things have not gotten more attention. I will give them proper attention next segment. And among those things was Ron using the word 
Redskins. And being asked about the recent increase in usage of the word Redskins, what is going on here? Uh, I have a few thoughts. Uh, Additionally, I have a segment for you having to do with commanders running back, specifically Brian Robinson Jr., and also the possibility of a big-time uptick this coming season in pass-catching by the team's running backs. Uh, Robinson, during his post-practice press conference on Friday morning, said of his rookie season, quote, not one time I felt like Brian Robinson, end quote. I'm going to get into that and more. Uh, Also on the show, I will talk Nationals, of them losing three or four games at the New York Mets. uh, And I will shine a spotlight on the Nats' realistic trade chips regarding what is on Tuesday, the 2023 MLB trade deadline, 6 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday. Who might our rebuilding Nats truly be able to trade uh, to add to their inventory of prospects? We'll take a look at the candidates. And speaking of the MLB trade deadline, I will give you a proper Orioles segment late in the show. Are the O's about to make a big trade for a pitcher? Perhaps multiple trades for pitchers. I'll take you through key comments from Orioles Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias on Friday afternoon. The Orioles pitching is a concern of the team's best starting pitcher for much of this season. Tyler Wells, he is reeling right now. The O's on Sunday afternoon, in fact, announced that they had optioned Wells to double-A buoy, although... The O's over the weekend, another victorious series, won two or three games against the New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The O's are one and a half games ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. Ratings and reviews, they help out this podcast a lot. Uh, You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. Uh, It can be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews help out the podcast a lot. So thank you very much for doing them. Before we get to some feedback, How about Don Geronimo? You know, Don Geronimo, about 10 years ago, did a nighttime show on WJFK. And the intro was someone saying, Don, Don, Don Geronimo, Don, Don, Don Geronimo. Well, Don, Don, Don Geronimo, uh, his real name is Mike Source. Uh, Don Geronimo had been the morning show host on the Commander's flagship radio station, WBIG. Uh, but he has been fired by the station's parent company, iHeartMedia. iHeartMedia, which employed me <laughs> for many years. Uh, why was Don Geronimo fired? Well, uh, old Donnie G, uh, he during his show on Thursday morning, live from Commander's training camp, said regarding WUSA 9 sports anchor and reporter Sharla McBride, quote, hey, look, Barbie's here. Hi, Barbie girl, end quote. He later referred to her as, quote, that chick, end quote, and also said, quote, I'm guessing she's a cheerleader, end quote. And (laughs) there also was some reference to something being, quote, tight, end quote. But it's not clear to what that was referring. I suppose that we can use our imaginations. Uh, After Thursday's show, 
The commanders informed WBIG that Don, Don, Don Geronimo and his producer, Crash Young, could not broadcast from the team facility on Friday as had been planned. And then we on Saturday night learned that Don Geronimo had been fired. Look, I grew up listening to Don Geronimo. Don Geronimo and Mike O'Mara did a show in the Washington, D.C. area for years. Don and Mike, December 1985 to April 2008. An amazing run. Uh, Don and Mike first did their show on WAVA in the mornings. WAVA, fun all morning, music all day, 105 WAVA. Uh, And then Don and Mike uh, did their show on WJFK in the afternoons. The Don and Mike show is a legendary radio show in the D.C. area. Uh, That show was one of the shows that made me want to get into radio. So I actually have a lot of respect for Don Geronimo. And a good bit of what I do is influenced uh, by Don and Mike and what those guys did for years. But, okay, A, uh, old Donnie G has had a lot of problems, okay? And he, since the end of Don and Mike, has bounced around a lot. Uh, B, what Don Geronimo said about Sharla McBride, he should have never said, okay? She in no way deserved that. You know, Sharla McBride is very good at what she does. The notion of her being some empty-headed Barbie doll, you know, the notion of her being all looks and no brains is completely wrong and totally unfair. I don't know what Don Geronimo was trying to say when he said what he said, but what he said he should have never said. She did not deserve that. And C, And this is the aspect of this (laughs) that cracks me up the most, okay? Given that Don Geronimo was being paid a lot of money by, and in fact had just signed a contract extension with a radio station in WBIG that is the flagship station for the football team. A football team that just had a massive workplace misconduct scandal. One of the biggest scandals, heck, maybe the biggest scandal of workplace sexual harassment in the history of pro sports in this country. Okay? How dumb, how moronic, how low IQ was it for him to say what he said? Cuckoo! Cuckoo! Yeah, like, read the room, bro, okay? I mean, put yourself in the shoes of the commanders. What choice did they have but to not have him broadcast from the team facility on Friday? And given the big money relationship between the team and the radio station, is anyone shocked that Don Geronimo ended up being fired? I mean, I hate cancel culture. I can't stand it. I think that it's gutless. But I almost feel like if you're the radio station... You fire Don as much for the stupidity of what he did as for what he actually did. Now, Don Geronimo has a history of saying stuff like this, too, although a lot of that was a long time ago uh, when our world was a very different place. But man, you're doing (laughs) you're doing a show from the team facility of a team that just had maybe the biggest scandal of workplace sexual harassment in the history of pro sports in this country, and you start calling a female reporter Barbie, you say that she must be a cheerleader, you have some sort of creepy reference to something being, quote, tight, end quote. Cuckoo, cuckoo. 
<laughs> yeah, I just can't get over that. Don, Don, Don Geronimo. What the heck were you thinking, dude? Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Rob Jones on the impact of the Josh Harris Group now owning the Commanders. Right, Rob? Thank you for dedicating the time and effort to your podcast. I'm a daily listener, especially during football season. Thank you, Rob. Continues, Rob. I wanted to write to let you know that the positive vibes and the positive perspectives of each of the D.C. area podcasters regarding the ownership change and first impressions of the new ownership group have given me the comfort in knowing that things might truly be different with this organization. Because of that, I made the decision two Saturdays ago to purchase season tickets for my wife and myself. We live in Raleigh, North Carolina. I've been a Redskins fan for my entire life. The unfortunate aspect of that is that I'm only 34 years old. I've never seen success with this team and have never had sustained hope. Ever since I've been old enough to know what was going on with the organization and football in general, Dan Snyder had been the owner. But all of that has changed. And I'm now comfortable investing my dollars in backing this organization and the incredible players and coaches. My only ask of you is that you do your best to find a way to get this message to the new ownership group and the players. They need to know that this change is already making a positive impact on the business and that they have not lost my generation of fans. We are still here and want to root for this organization. I'm greatly looking forward to being a season ticket holder and sharing this team with my two children as they grow up. Would love to meet you at a game if you can spare the time. H-T-T-R. Uh, thank you for the email, Rob. Boy, uh, that that right there is an email that every member of the Josh Harris group should hear. Uh, the infusion of good feeling and positive vibes and energy and momentum from the sale of this team, from Dan and Tanya Snyder to the Harris Group, has been spectacular, okay? Uh, there is no question about that. Email from Larry Center on the state of D.C. sports, writes Larry, Al, this could be a unique next year for D.C. sports. Everything could be seen as really positive or really negative. I feel like Tevya in Fiddler on the Roof, he always said, on the one hand, dot, 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 on the other hand, dot, dot, dot. The Commanders, on the one hand, last place team with a head coach who has had a losing record since he got here, and a team that is projected to finish last again. On the other hand, Dan is gone. Happy Thanksgiving. The Capitals, on the one hand, they missed the playoffs last season and have an older roster with little new young talent. On the other hand, we are so privileged to watch the great eight Chase Wayne Gretzky's all-time goals record up close and personal. How lucky are we? The Wizards, years and years on the hamster wheel of mediocrity. No Beal, no KP, no playoffs. On the other hand, Ted finally saw the light. New respected president, new respected general manager, new respected head of player personnel. There is a plan. There is hope. The Nats, another last place year, second worst record in the National League. Focus uh, this week on trade ships instead of winning. On the other hand, Dylan Cruz, James Wood, Brady House, Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, Cade Cavalli, hope for 2025. So Al, is the D.C. sports glass half full 
or half empty. Keep up the fantastic work. Best podcast in the DMV. Best guests, best knowledge, and best scheduled emergency shows. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for that, Larry. Yeah, whether a person is an optimist or a pessimist absolutely is put to the test uh, by how he or she views the uh, big four pro sports teams of Washington, D.C. right now. Here's what I wonder. Since the Montreal Expos moved to D.C. in the 2004-2005 offseason to become the Nationals, uh, we've not had a single calendar year in which all four of the big four, the football team, the Nats, the Caps, and the Wizards, played in a postseason. We, in the calendar year of 2021, had the Washington football team, the Caps, and the Wizards all playing in a postseason, uh, but not the Nats. We, in the calendar year of 2017, had the Nats, the Caps, and the Wizards all playing in a postseason, but not the Skins, who, remember, choked like dogs uh, in a New Year's Day loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field, costing the Skins a spot in the playoffs for the 2016 season. Uh, we, in the calendar year of 2016, had the Skins, the Nats, and the Caps all playing in a postseason, but not the Wizards. Will we, anytime soon, have a calendar year in which all four of the big four play in a postseason. Uh, I would like to see that. Well, nobody likes to see a bad lawn. If you have a bad lawn, uh, no worries. Turf Center Lawns can change that. Turf Center Lawns offers a variety of residential and commercial landscaping services. It is a local, multi-generational family business serving Maryland, Virginia, and Washington, D.C., Turf Center Lawns offers lawn care programs that will make and keep your lawn lush and green. Uh, Turf Center Lawns is outstanding at handling water problems. Intense summer storms can cause water and drainage problems for your home or business. Turf Center Lawns offers affordable and effective grading-based drainage solutions to prevent flooding, erosion, wet basements, and wet crawl spaces. Uh, Also, if you are a coach, an athletic director, a booster, uh, know that Turf Center Lawns can create, improve, and or maintain athletic fields. Uh, Turf Center Lawns will give you and your team a professional, natural grass athletic field. Uh, And Turf Center Lawns performs maintenance with a specializing in Bermuda grass fields. Turf Center Lawns installed the original Bermuda grass fields at a number of major venues, including... The Commander's FedEx Field, uh, when it opened as Jack Ken Cook Stadium in 1997, Prince George's County Stadium, home of the Orioles AA affiliate, the Bowie Bay Sox, and Arthur W. Purdue Stadium, home of the Orioles Low A affiliate, the Delmarva Shorebirds. Uh, Turf Center Lawns also installs and rebuilds baseball and softball infields, batting cages, home putting greens, even bocce courts. Uh, if you have landscaping needs, drainage issues, or athletic field needs, contact Turf Center Lawns. Uh, consultations and estimates are free. You have nothing to lose. Call 301-384-9300 or visit TurfCenterLawns.com. That's 301-384-9300 or TurfCenterLawns.com. And make sure that you tell Turf Center Lawns that Al Galdi sent you. The Turf Center Lawns team is comprised of experts in their field. Uh, They share a deep commitment to exceeding customer expectations on every job, Uh, whether large or small. When you hire Turf Center Lawns, your satisfaction is guaranteed. So call 301-384-9300 or visit TurfCenterLawns.com. That's 301-384-9300 or TurfCenterLawns.com. And make sure that you tell Turf Center Lawns that Al Galdi sent you.
So if I asked you, when was the last time that the Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders had a true, legitimate home field advantage, what would your answer be? Now, we can define home field advantage in a variety of ways, but to me, a true, legitimate home field advantage, that's the kind of thing that you know it when you see it. Uh, For years now, as in decades, uh, FedEx Field has not provided a, a true, legitimate home field advantage. FedEx Field routinely has been overtaken by fans of opposing teams. And even when you think about Washington's recent playoff seasons, it's hard to find a sustained period of a real home field advantage. Washington's 2020 NFC East winning season, we had no fans at FedEx Field due to COVID. Uh, the Skins' 2015 NFC East winning season, the Skins that regular season went from 5-7 and seven to 9-7, and seven, but three of the team's final four wins that regular season were road wins. Uh, the Skins' 2012 NFC East winning season, was that the last time? that the team had a true legitimate home field advantage? Do we have to go back further than that 2012 season? Whatever your answer, it has been a while, a long while, uh, since our team had a true legitimate home field advantage. Well, that, my friends, could change this coming season. You know, that the joy from Commanders fans over the sale of the team from Dan and Tanya Snyder to the Josh Harris group has been enormous, isn't surprising. But That doesn't mean that the manifestation of that joy hasn't been impressive. And included in that manifestation have been sizable crowds at 2023 Commander's training camp so far. The amount of fans showing up at the team facility in Ashburn, Virginia for these practices has been in big time contrast to the training camp crowds that the team generated in recent years. There, so far at camp, have been three practices open to fans. Those practices uh, being this past Thursday morning, this past Friday morning, and this past Saturday morning. There are no official attendance numbers for these training camp practices, but anecdotally and photographically and audibly, uh, these crowds have been much larger than training camp practice crowds for the team in recent years. Now, yes, the bar is low. Uh, Training camp practice crowds for the team have been laughable at times in recent years. However, what we saw with these crowds this past Thursday morning, Friday morning, and Saturday morning, especially considering the brutal heat each day, should not be discounted. You know, the estimated attendance for the practice on Saturday morning was 10,000. Think about that. 10,000. And so I do wonder if this coming season, for the first time in a long time, we might actually have crowds at FedEx Field that are large and loud for, wait for it, the home team. (laughs) Imagine that. Uh, Washington, for each of the last two regular seasons, has ranked dead last in the NFL in percent capacity for home games. Uh, We all know the deal with FedEx Field. It is not good for a variety of reasons, but You know, if some tangible improvements to the stadium and to the game day experience are made, uh, as has been talked about by our new managing partner, Josh Harris, and if the commanders this coming season actually are good, I don't think that it's that far-fetched that our team actually has a home field advantage again. The joy, the elation from the sale of the team is undeniable. You know, fans of this team have been starving for reason to feel good about the team. That reason now has been provided with this sale. This sale has unleashed this joy, this elation, this energy, this momentum 
from the fan base. Fans are showing up to these training camp practices. Fans are being loud at these training camp practices, and the team is noticing. This was head coach Rod Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Friday morning with a message to fans who showed up at practice. I'll tell you right now, it's really kind of cool because, you know, from, 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 from us to, to the fans, we really just appreciate them coming out. And, and to those that stuck through us through the thick and thin, and, uh, you know, we're always there cheering for us. I, I know there's a lot of other things out there, but just being there for us, I really appreciate I really thank you to them. And having these folks come out the last couple of days, thank you for being here. And I'm looking forward to those who come out. I really do mean that because, you know, it, the last few years have been hard. They've been trying. But knowing that there are people out there that really do appreciate us, that we really appreciate them. So thank you to the, to the fan base. I thought that that was a really nice message from Ron Rivera on Friday morning, thanking the fans and also acknowledging how messed up <laughs> the last few years have been for fans of the team. Yeah, the last few years and the last few decades. Uh, by the way, among the fans at Friday morning's training camp practice was the Phoenix Suns' Kevin Durant. The local, right? Native of Prince George's County, Maryland. Uh, Durant, over the years, has been a very loyal fan of the team. Very nice to see him out there Friday morning. Here was Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Friday morning on Kevin Durant attending practice. It's great to have, it is great to have KD here. I know he's a local guy. I know how much of a uh, Washington Redskins slash Commander fan he is. Uh, Great to have his support. I mean, it's great to have, you know, the fan base back. I mean, th- th- this has been really cool the last couple of days. It has. I'm looking forward to tomorrow because, you know, a lot of people will be off. They're going to be coming. Um, and we're expecting a pretty good crowd. So th- this is exciting. It is. So to have guys like KD come back and show their support is, means an awful lot to us. And did you notice that Ron Rivera called Kevin Durant, quote, a Washington Redskins slash commander fan, end quote. More on the name situation in a bit, but we also heard Ron reference Saturday morning. This past weekend was branded by the NFL as Back Together Weekend. The commanders did not practice on Sunday, so they branded Saturday as Back Together Saturday. Again, there were an estimated 10,000 fans at this commander's training camp practice on Saturday morning. Here was Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Saturday morning on the very impressive turnout of fans for Saturday morning's practice. Well, in light of the, you know, the past three seasons, it, 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 it was truly incredible. It was truly amazing and exciting. I, I, I really appreciate, we, we really appreciate the fans. Um, first and foremost, I, I, you know, I, I know it's always been there. They've always been there, and they've always been supportive, especially when you know we've been out in the community and stuff. But lately, now with the way things are, with the opportunity for them to come out here and knowing that this is where we are at training camp, to see them come out in in in, in force today, that was excellent. That was outstanding. Our, our players really appreciate it. I know our ownership appreciates the uh, the renewed interest and stuff, um, and I'm really appreciative of it. All right, so Rod Rivera, again, thanking the fans and acknowledging the difficulty of recent seasons, but also saying a fan support, quote, I know it's always been there, end quote. He's right. When it comes to the erosion of the team's fan base, I have always felt that the erosion was more about fans who were in uh, hibernation as opposed to fans who were gone for good. Yes, some fans are gone for good, but to me... The erosion was always much more about hibernation uh, than permanent extinction, okay? And what we're seeing with this incredible turnout of fans over three training camp practices, uh, I think speaks to this, you know, that the fans have just been waiting 
for reason to come back. And now a lot of fans feel like there is reason to come back. Now, the fervor is going to calm down, okay? And the team, of course, needs to win. If the team this coming season is bad, then no, there will not be a true legitimate home field advantage at FedEx Field this coming season. But right now, there is no season. There only is training camp. And this is as much of a feel-good training camp as the team has had in a while. In fact, take a listen to this exchange from Rod Rivera's post-practice press conference on Saturday morning. This was between Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post and Ron. Where does today fit in? Fans have been excited when you've been here before the Tampa Bay playoff game, the Sunday night game against the Giants last year at home. Like, where does this fall in terms of your tenure and excitement you've seen? Well, I think it's right, right, right near the top. I mean, because it's 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 before the season. It's before you know we've gone through training camp and and preseason games. So that's what's exciting. And 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 I know a lot of people go, oh, you know, well, this team's been that, this team's that. Well, you know what? It, this team was now let's let's talk about what we can become and, and that's what I you know we've been talking to players about all campus about you know this is about trying to determine establish who we are going to be going forward and most than anything else you know you, you want to make sure that the culture is good um, you know that the character on this team is good and then we're good as a football team we're good as football players and, and that's what we're doing right now in training camps trying to develop and grow these guys So, Ron Rivera on where the fan turnout for Saturday morning's training camp practice ranks among his experiences with Washington fans since becoming the team's head coach on New Year's Day 2020. Quote, I think it's right near the top. End quote. Uh, Geez, (laughs) a training camp practice ranks right near the top. Uh, Well, that does speak to the lack of success for Washington over its three seasons with Ron as head coach. But what Ron said also speaks to the significance of what's happening right now with fans of the team. Well, also going on right now with fans of the team is the issue of the name. Ah, yes, the name. Uh, The name issue is not going away. And what has become especially interesting to me is that the name issue right now is being fueled by not just fans, but by the team itself. So there are two aspects of the name issue right now. Number one, the possibility of the team changing from commanders. Number two, the possibility of the team going back to Redskins. Uh, These two aspects obviously are related, but they are two different things. I months ago on this podcast brought up the notion of the team going back to the name Redskins. Now, I did this half kiddingly and half seriously. I just thought that it was an interesting idea to mention, but I got a lot of reaction to that. And so that got me to thinking. Uh, We, on episode 609 of this podcast, had a great conversation with Eunice Davidson and Tony Andrews of the Native American Guardians Association, or NAGA, which is a nonprofit Native American organization advocating for the commanders to go back to the name Redskins. Uh, I got a lot of great feedback to that conversation. That conversation got a lot of attention, and Naga now has an online petition of tens of thousands of signatures of people who want the name of the team to go back to Redskins. But put aside whether the name should go back to Redskins or the likelihood of the name going back to Redskins, how about the frequency with which the word Redskins now is being used by people with the commanders? 
This has become impossible to ignore. Take you back to the press conference for the Josh Harris group at FedEx Field on July 21st. Uh, Josh Harris and the top two limited partners, Mitchell Rails and Magic Johnson, each guy during that press conference said Redskins. Uh, That cut that I just played for you a few minutes ago of Rod Rivera talking about Kevin Durant being at Friday morning's training camp practice, Ron called Durant, quote, a Washington Redskins slash commander fan, end quote. Ron could have just said commander's fan, could have just said Washington fan, but Ron instead said, quote, a Washington Redskins slash commander fan, end quote. And so we later in Ron's post-practice press conference on Friday morning had this exchange between Sam Fortier and Ron. Since new ownership took over, people have been using, I think, the old team name, Redskins, a little bit more. Is there anything to that, or, or what do you make of that? <laughs> um, well, I, I know this. Mr. Harrison and, and that ownership group talked extensively about bringing back the glory. And, and again, what, what Coach Gibbs did, the traditions, um, that alumni group of guys that are around, um, it's hard to escape it. It really is. I mean, and that's the truth of the matter. I mean, and just so everybody knows, we do that with the utmost respect, okay, for, 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 for the native tribes, for, 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 for the American Indian. Anytime that's brought up is brought up with the utmost respect. Ron Rivera is right when he says that it's hard to escape the name Redskins. It is. But let's think about this for a moment. If the name Redskins really and truly is so bad and so wrong, how come the likes of Josh Harris, Mitchell Rails, Magic Johnson, and Ron Rivera all lately have said the name Redskins publicly to little, if any, backlash? Explain that to me. I mean, I on this podcast say Redskins whenever I'm referring to a person or a thing from the team's time as the Redskins. But, you know, I'm not Josh Harris, Mitchell Rails, Magic Johnson, or Ron Rivera. Those guys all lately have said Redskins publicly. I mean, at the press conference for the Harris Group, if you took a shot every time someone said Redskins, you'd have been hammered, okay? Uh, My stance on the name Redskins always has been that it is Native Americans who should decide whether the name is offensive, not non-Native Americans. There certainly are Native Americans who hate the name Redskins, and those people absolutely should be listened to and respected. But what if those people do constitute an extreme minority of Native Americans? What if an overwhelming majority of Native Americans feel as those in the Native American Guardians Association, NAGA, feel? Then what? And again, if the word Redskins is so bad, where's the outrage from people, including in the media, over Josh Harris, Mitchell Rails, Magic Johnson, and Ron Rivera all lately saying the word so publicly? And if it's okay to say publicly, then isn't it potentially okay to have as the name of the team again? Now, maybe you say, well, it's okay to say Redskins when referring to people and things from the team's time as the Redskins. But you can't use the name Redskins as the name of the team moving forward. Okay, fine. But, you know, it becomes rather arbitrary when it's okay to say the name and when it's not okay to say the name. Like, if the name is bad, if the word is bad, then the word should not be used, right? And yet, lately, the word is being used more and more. And again, there really hasn't been that much backlash to this. It's like people are like, yeah, okay, fine. 
Now, let me make this clear. I do not think that there is some great chance that the team will go back to the name Redskins. There is a lot working against that, including what I just mentioned. There are Native Americans who hate the name Redskins. Uh, But there's a difference between will the name go back to Redskins and should the name go back to Redskins. This always has been such a gray area issue, which is why I've said that this is an issue on which reasonable people can disagree. I will say this, though. Whereas as recently as two weeks ago, the chance of the team ever going back to the name Redskins felt like basically zero. I right now would not say that the chance is basically zero. The chance is greater than zero. Now, you know, the chance may only be like, I don't know, 3% or 5%, but there's a chance. And maybe the chance is higher, you know? Maybe the chance is 10%. Maybe the chance is 20%. Going back to Redskins is the name change that would generate the most positive feedback. That's undeniable. Going from commanders to, say, Red Wolves or Hogs or Washington Football Club would not generate some avalanche of positive feedback. Going back to Redskins would, although that also would tick some people off. I look at the situation like this, though. Josh Harris, Mitchell Rails, Magic Johnson, Ron Rivera, these are not dumb people. This isn't just some wacky coincidence that all of a sudden they're all publicly saying the word Redskins. Now, as for the team just changing from the name Commanders, forget about to what. So a lot of that got going on Friday, July 21st, when we had this from Magic Johnson on the Today Show on NBC uh, on potentially changing the name of the team. Quote, I think everything's on the table, especially after this year. We'll see where we are with the name, end quote. Well, with that in mind, I want to play for you two things from the last few days. First up, this was team president Jason Wright with WUSA 9 sports director and sports anchor Darren Haynes. From this past Friday, July 28th, here you go. How much have you s- s- talked to, to Josh Harris and, and the rest of the group so far? Plenty. Plenty? <laughs> Plenty. Any? They, they have jumped right in. They have jumped right in. What, what's, uh, what, are, what are their thoughts in regards to fans saying like they want to change the name? Because you put in a lot of work on that commander's name and, yeah. and, and fans are like, hey, w- w- will they change the name the to work something we else? The put in is not is not an issue. They're looking at everything. We're discussing everything. It doesn't matter what effort went in before or any of that stuff. Um, if it comes to discussing it, we'll discuss it. Why is that so important, though? I mean, because the fans are talking about it. Mm-hmm. If the fans are talking about it, then it's something you got to talk about, yeah. period. You can't, you can't just turn a, a deaf ear to something that a segment of the fan base is passionate about. That's it. It's very simple. Yeah, yeah. All right, Jason Wright on potentially changing the name again. Quote, we're discussing everything. It doesn't matter what effort went in before any of that stuff. If it comes to discussing it, we'll discuss it, end quote. And then Jason said, quote, if the fans are talking about it, then it's something you got to talk about, end quote. So right there was Jason Wright, the man who in many ways led the rebrand to Commanders, the man who gave us 2.2.22. That guy by no means shut down the idea of yet another rebrand. And then we, during Ron Rivera's post-practice press conference on Saturday morning, had this exchange between the radio voice of the Commanders, my good friend Bram Weinstein, and Ron. And for you, just in doing your job, 
how would you describe like moving forward here? Do you feel a sense of relief? Do you how, how are you kind of looking at this season now with all this kind of renewed spirit around the team? Well, I think it's really cool just because, you know, now the focus, the primary focus uh, and answering questions really going to be concerned about the football team, the X's and O's, what's going on on the field. Um, you know, I, I know there will be questions eventually about the new stadium and about, you know, potentially, who knows, a new name. But um, I think the biggest thing is we can talk about the players and, and, and we can talk about what we're trying to do and how we're trying to get it done. Um, and, and, and I think that's probably the most important thing. All right. So Ron Rivera, quote, I know there will be questions eventually about the new stadium and about potentially, who knows, the new name, end quote. Think about that for a moment. I just played for you the exchange in its entirety. Ron Rivera unsolicited brought up the possibility of yet another name change. Bram Weinstein did not ask Ron Rivera about a potential name change in any way, and yet Ron brought up a potential name change. So let's take a step back. We've had both Josh Harris and Magic Johnson be noncommittal about the name Commanders. We've had Jason Wright not at all be dismissive of the idea of another name change. And we've had Ron Rivera unsolicited bring up the possibility of yet another name change. And you also can add that ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter said that he thinks that Josh Harris is going to change from commander. Schefter said this on the July 25th installment of his podcast, the Adam Schefter podcast. No matter where you stand on the name, I don't know how you take all of this in and not think that there's at least a decent chance that the team is going to change from commanders. I don't think that anything is set in stone, but I do think that the Josh Harris group is very open to the possibility of changing the name. And yeah, I do think that going back to Redskins is something that, while far from likely, also isn't entirely off the table. Going back to Redskins would have to include support from the NFL and Uh, that might not be so easy to get. Well, there's nothing easy about being harmed by the negligence of someone else. If that has happened to you or to someone who you care about, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace, they are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. Uh, Chris Nace in May was named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year, this by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. And Chris in July was elected as the Parliamentarian of the American Association for Justice. The guy is winning honors left and right. Why? Well, Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. This is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial, and that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. 
Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. More now from Commander's Training Camp. I want to get into something that was a popular topic on Friday, the team's running back situation. So the Commander's top three running backs, in some order, are Brian Robinson Jr., Antonio Gibson, and Chris Rodriguez Jr., who the team took out of Kentucky in the sixth round of the 2023 NFL Draft. Uh, Also on the team are running backs Jonathan Williams and Jared Patterson. The Commander's also have a fullback, Alex Arma. Uh, This was head coach Rod Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Friday morning on how Brian Robinson Jr. looks now as compared to last season. What's what's exciting, and for that group as a whole, they came back basically the way they needed to. You know, they're they're all leaner. Um, They've all obviously been working on their catching and their route running. They understand what, what Eric wants in terms of the way to practice and play. He wants speed out there. He wants quickness out there. And, and, and again, the idea is getting the ball into, into their hands quickly. And, and, and space creates a lot of good things. So with, with, with B-Rob, you're seeing that. You're seeing, you know, he still has the, still a downhill runner, but he has that quick cut to, 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 to reverse his field and get going. And so there's a lot of good things from, from him. And Brian Robinson Jr. during Friday morning's practice uh, very much stood out as a pass catcher. What kind of a second NFL season are we going to see from Robinson? The commanders took him out of Alabama in the third round of the 2022 NFL draft. He, during the 2022 preseason, remember, supplanted Antonio Gibson as the team's RB1, but Robinson then got shot. Uh, It's still so crazy that this happened. Sunday, August 28th, 2022, Uh, The incident happened in Washington, D.C., happened on the 1000 block of H Street in Northeast D.C. There was a scuffle between Robinson and two teenage boys. Robinson wrestled a firearm away from one teenager before the other teenager shot Robinson in a leg and hip. Uh, Robinson was released from the hospital the next day and then actually showed up at the commander's team facility in Ashburn, Virginia the following day. Uh, Brian Robinson Jr. in the 2022 regular season played in 12 of the team's 17 games. He missed each of the team's first four games due to being on the reserve non-football injury or illness list uh, from September 1st to October 9th, and he was inactive for the win over the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field in Week 18 due to a knee injury. Robinson had a mixed 2022 season, and two advanced stats speak to this. Brian Robinson Jr. for the 2022 regular season ranked 15th out of 42 qualified running backs in the NFL in football outsiders' success rate for running backs. Uh, Success rate is a really good stat to look at for running backs. Better than yards per carry. Yards per carry treats a one-yard run on, say, a third and one, the same as a one-yard run on, say, a first and ten. Success rate differentiates between those two runs. The way 
that football outsiders' success rate works is a successful run is defined as a first down run that gains at least 40% of the yards needed for a first down, uh, a second down run that gains at least 60% of the yards needed for a first down, or a third or fourth down run that gains at least 100% of the yards needed for a first down. And football outsiders' success rate for running backs also includes adjustments for fourth quarter runs that come when the player's team is trailing by more than a touchdown uh, or is attempting to run out the clock. So Brian Robinson Jr. for the 2022 regular season ranked 15th out of 42 qualified running backs in the NFL in football outsiders success rate for running backs. It's pretty good. Uh, but also for Robinson in the 2022 regular season, it was him ranking just 39th out of 42 qualified running backs in the NFL in football outsiders DVOA metric for rushing. DVOA stands for defense adjusted value over average. It's a measure of per play efficiency that factors in game situation and is adjusted for quality of opposing defenses. 39th out of 42 qualified backs. Not good. And by the way, Antonio Gibson ranked 41st. But A, Brian Robinson Jr. last season was coming off having been shot multiple times. And B, the commander's offensive line last season was not good. So I'm not just going to hammer Robinson for his mixed rookie season. This was Ron Rivera on Friday morning on if we last season ever saw the real Brian Robinson Jr., given that he, uh, you know, got shot. I think we got to see it, you know, probably um, uh, getting into three quarters of, of the way into the season. And then he got nicked up at the end with the uh, with the thigh contusion. But we, I think we had a real good picture of what it can be. Um, what we're seeing now is is a more a little more mature version of last year's guy that went through camp, uh, and he's still learning, he's still growing, and, and and there's still got a ways to go, but there's a lot of promise. There's a lot of excitement right now. All right, so that was Ron Rivera on Friday morning on if we last season ever saw the real Brian Robinson Jr. This was Robinson himself during a post practice press conference on Friday morning on if he last season was ever himself. Now, one time I felt like Brian Robinson. So, no, that's night and day from then to now. So, people should expect a, a lot of you know, great things to come for you compare all the things I did while I was you know, limping around all, all year last year. So, how about that? Brian Robinson Jr. on his rookie season, quote, not one time I felt like Brian Robinson, end quote. I found it significant that Robinson said that. There are a lot of wild cards to the Commanders 2023 season. One of the bigger wild cards is how much better Robinson might be if the offensive line is better. And uh, with Robinson, presumably not having to deal with just having been shot. Uh, Now, we earlier this segment heard Ron Rivera say that Commanders running backs have showed up at training camp leaner. Uh, We on Friday morning had this exchange between Commander's Insider Nikki Zavala of the Washington Post and Ron Rivera, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange regarding Antonio Gibson. You said that the running backs all came back leaner. Was that a request of Eric Bieniemy for his system? No, I think it's a realization to understand that this is how you've got to do things. And I think that's something that that, that the guys took to heart coming out of OTAs and minicamp was what's being demanded upon them and what's being expected of them. And so seeing them walk in the way they did and do the things that they've been doing lately, it's been really good to watch. How do you envision Antonio Gibson's role in this offense? Oh, I think it's going to be a mix, just I see all the running backs. I mean, um, 
I, I can see where he can go out and he'll line up in the slot, a line up outside in the wing, and instead of always motioning back or shifting back, he, he can play from there. And, and again, that goes back to his days when we saw him at Memphis. He's a guy that we think can, can do some of those things and be a little bit of a hybrid for you. Um, I could see us taking him and, and doing a little bit of that Curtis Samuel role that we used last year. And I, and I know that some of the things that Eric and, and the offensive staff have looked at have actually installed. Uh, in fact, they showed a little bit of it today. So there's some, there's some things that uh, we're pretty excited about. Yeah, what? The commander's new assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, himself a former NFL running back, is going to mean for commander's running backs is fascinating to think about, especially with Antonio Gibson. Gibson is entering the fourth and final season of his rookie contract. He, over his first three NFL seasons, certainly has done some good things, but he has not developed into the pass-catching threat that we all hoped he'd be uh, when the Redskins took him in the third round of the 2020 NFL draft uh, took him out of Memphis, for which Gibson was a combo running back receiver. Now, Gibson not having had the desired impact as a pass catcher may not be on him as much as being on the way that he has been used and uh, on our team's, shall we say, less than stellar quarterback play. But whatever the case, the idea that Antonio Gibson was going to be Washington's version of a man who Ron Rivera had during his time as Carolina Panthers head coach, Christian McCaffrey, uh, you know, that has not happened. Uh, Antonio Gibson, over his three NFL regular seasons, has totaled 124 receptions for 894 yards and five touchdowns, 7.21 yards per reception. It's not like he has been a non-factor as a pass catcher, but he certainly hasn't been some major force as a pass catcher. Uh, The recent rise of Brian Robinson Jr. as a pass catcher in these training camp practices is interesting. Robinson in the 2022 regular season was barely used as a pass catcher. He had nine receptions for 60 yards and a touchdown on 12 targets. But Robinson at Alabama did catch some passes. Robinson in his 2021 redshirt senior season at Bama had 35 receptions for 296 yards and two touchdowns. And of course, it could be that Chris Rodriguez Jr. emerges as a pass catcher, although he and his 2022 redshirt senior season for Kentucky had just five receptions. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, of course, spent the last five seasons as the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator. He was not the Chiefs' primary offensive play caller, but he was heavily involved in game planning and play designing. The Chiefs, over those five seasons, got significant pass-catching production from running backs. Uh, Of course, it has helped having Patrick Mahomes as the Chiefs QB1 for all five of those seasons, but Chiefs running backs Jarek McKinnon, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and Isaiah Pacheco last regular season, a combined 86 receptions for 793 yards and 12 touchdowns. A lot of damage can be done via passes to running backs. And along those lines, a good friend of this podcast, Warren Sharp of sharpfootballanalysis.com, he this past Friday morning put out an interesting tweet, quote, interesting to look at the difference between Kansas City and Washington as Eric Bieniemy now installs his offense in D.C. On passes at slash behind line of scrimmage, Kansas City number one in completion percentage, number one in EPA per attempt, that would be expected points added per attempt, number two in yards per attempt, number six in total attempts, number one in touchdowns. Washington, number 25 in completion percentage, number 25 in EPA per attempt, number 29 in yards per attempt, number 17 in total attempts, number 31 in touchdowns, and quote, 
And those bad rankings for our team certainly speak to the woeful screen game that was on display from our team last season. Now, this is a tricky deal because you don't want your quarterback throwing nothing but short passes and never threatening defenses downfield. And specific to the man being positioned to be the commander's QB1, Sam Howell, his deep balls in training camp so far have looked good. But especially for a young quarterback like Sam, short, quick passes, including those to running backs, can get a quarterback in rhythm, uh, can build up his confidence, and yeah, can cause a lot of damage. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, perhaps the worst aspect of the Nationals' uh, oh-so-rough 2022 regular season was them going 17-59 and against National League East teams. The Nats in intra-division games last season got wrecked. This season, we have a new scheduling formula in Major League Baseball. The new formula features fewer division games for teams, but the Nats in this 2023 regular season now are 10 and 19 against National League East teams. Now, 10 and 19 is better than 17 and 59, but uh, 10 and 19, obviously, uh, not too good. The Nats, over the last four days, uh, lost three or four games at the division rival, New York Mets, who just may be the single most disappointing team in the majors this season. But Thursday night, a 2 1 loss in a game plagued by a rain delay of an hour and 37 minutes. Friday night, a 5-1 loss in a game in which the Nats' former ace, Max Scherzer, outdueled the Nats' potential future ace, Mackenzie Gore. Uh, Saturday night, an 11-6 win in a game for which the start was delayed for an hour and 20 minutes due to rain, and in a game during which we had the breaking news of the Mets trading Max Scherzer. 
to the Texas Rangers, and then Sunday afternoon, a 5-2 loss. There was a lot going on uh, in New York these last few days. The Nats for this regular season now are 44-62. and That is the second-worst record in the National League. The 2023 MLB trade deadline. It is this Tuesday, August 1st, at 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the Nats, as a rebuilding team, of course, are sellers as opposed to buyers. Uh, now, how much selling the Nats actually will be doing is unclear because teams in MLB now are a lot more reluctant to part with prospects as compared to even just a few years ago. But the Nats do have a good number of realistic trade chips. It may be that only one of these guys actually gets traded, but there are quite a few Nats to be thinking about here right now. So the Nats' top trade chip is third baseman Jamer Candelario. Uh, the Nats has passed November 29th, announced having agreed with Candelario on a one-year free agent contract. The deal was a one-year $5 million deal. Uh, this is his age 29 season, and he is having a really good season. Candelario entered Sunday number one among all qualified National League third basemen in wins above replacement war per fan graphs for this regular season at three. Uh, now, we on Friday night did have an injury scare with Jamer Candelario. Uh, you know, him getting hurt is like the last thing that the Nats need right now. But the 5-1 loss on Friday night, Candelario as the Nats starting DH and number three batter went one for three with a single and a walk. Uh, he in the top of the eighth had a one-out first pitch single on a grounder off the mound and into shallow right center field. An odd play, uh, but he then was tagged out in his attempt to stretch the single into a double. He got banged up on the play, but he ended up starting games three and four of the series. The 11-6 win on Saturday night, Candelario, as the Nats starting third baseman and number three batter, got on base four times. Uh, he went two for three with an RBI hustle double, an infield single, a walk, and a hit by pitch. And the 5-2 loss on Sunday afternoon, Candelario, as the Nats starting third baseman, and number two batter went one for three with a single a walk and a stolen base. Jamer Candelario for this regular season is number one among all qualified Nats players in OPS at 823. He's not going to bring back a haul, uh, but he should be able to bring back something decent for the Nats. Uh, the number two man in terms of qualified Nats players in OPS for this regular season is Lane Thomas at 805. To what extent is Lane Thomas a trade ship for the Nats? So this is only Thomas's age 27 season, and he's under team control through the 2025 season. So you very much could argue that Lane Thomas is more a piece for the future than he is a trade ship. Uh, Thomas overall is having a good season, but he's having a bad July. Lane Thomas in this four-game series at the Mets was the Nats starting right fielder and number two batter in each of the first three games of the series. And he then, in the 5-2 loss on Sunday afternoon, came off the bench, but he struck out as a pinch hitter to begin the top of the ninth. Thomas, over the four games in the series, one for 14 with an RBI single and seven strikeouts. Thomas, for this month of July, a batting average of just 235 and on base percentage of just 275 and a slugging percentage of just 343. If you are among those who think that the overall good season that Lane Thomas is having is a bit of a fluke, uh, what is happening in this month of July uh, is something that may well be supporting your argument. Although to me, Lane Thomas actually is a pretty good hitter. Uh, he has done well for the Nats overall as a batter since they acquired him uh, prior to the 2021 MLB trade deadline. Got him from the St. Louis Cardinals uh, for starting pitcher John Lester. Uh, there are other Nats position players who realistically could be traded. How likely, though, uh, certainly can be debated. You know, I suppose that it's possible that first baseman Dominic Smith gets traded. Now, he this season has hit for like no power, but he for this regular season does have an on-base percentage at 335. He can't play a decent first base. Uh, the Nats has passed 
January 4th announced having agreed with Smith on a one-year free agent contract. The deal was a one-year, $2 million deal. Uh, what about super utility man Ildemaro Vargas? Boy, did it seem like the Nats were showcasing Ildemaro Vargas at the Mets over the weekend. Nats manager David Martinez gave Vargas not one but two starts. Uh, Vargas in the 5-1 loss on Friday night was the Nats starting third baseman and number seven battery. Went one for four with a single. Uh, he was thrown out on an attempted steal of second base. And Vargas in the 5-2 loss on Sunday afternoon was the Nats starting left fielder and number eight battery. Went one for four with an RBI single and two strikeouts. Uh, as for Nats pitchers who could be traded prior to Tuesday's MLB trade deadline. Well, uh, my hope going into this season was that starting pitchers Patrick Corbett and Trevor Williams might prove to be viable trade ships for the Nats, but neither guy is going well right now. Uh, we know the deal with Corbin. Uh, he has declined big time since being very good for the Nats in their 2019 World Series championship season, what was the first season of a six-year, $140 million contract to which the Nats signed Corbin as a free agent in December 2018. Corbin was the Nats starting pitcher for the 11-6 win at the Mets on Saturday night, and he was not good. Uh, he allowed four runs in five and two-thirds innings. He gave up six hits, two home runs, two doubles, and two singles. He didn't issue any walks, but he did issue a hit-by-pitch and a wild pitch. He recorded just two strikeouts. Uh, he threw 93 pitches. Corbin, for this regular season, 22 starts, an ERA of 5.07, a whip of 153. And then the former Met, Trevor Williams, he was the Nats starting pitcher for the 5-2 loss at the Mets on Sunday afternoon, and he was not good. Uh, Williams allowed five runs in four innings. He gave up seven hits, a homer, a triple, a double, and four singles. He issued four walks. Uh, he recorded just two strikeouts, and he threw a lot of pitches. Williams, over his four innings, threw 89 pitches. He, in the bottom of the third, allowed three runs on a triple, a double, two singles, a walk, and two RBI sack flies. Now, Trevor Williams is going on the bereavement list, so he on Sunday afternoon may have been pitching with some things on his mind, but Williams has fallen off as this season has gone on. Williams for this regular season, 22 starts, an ERA of 472, a whip of 149. His ERA through May was 393. This was Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday afternoon on Trevor Williams. He's got to make his pitch. He didn't throw. He didn't throw very many changeups today. I think he only threw like four, um, and that was surprising to me. You know, I don't know why he didn't use his changeup a little bit more. So, um, you know what? He'll be back out there. You know, in, in five or six days. So, uh, you know, obviously, you guys know he, he's on the agreement list. So he, he's got to go home. Um, so when we get him back, he'll you know come back and compete again. Yeah, Trevor Williams may have pitched his way out of being a viable trade chip for the Nats, at least for this season. He is under a two-year contract. The Nats, this past December 10th, announced having agreed with Williams on a two-year free agent contract. The deal was a two-year, $13 million deal. How likely is the Nats trading reliever Kyle Finnegan? Uh, Finnegan right now is the Nats' top reliever with Hunter Harvey on the 15-day injured list with a right elbow strain. And by the way, the Nats on Sunday morning put another reliever on the 15-day IL, Rico Garcia, retroactive to Saturday with right biceps tendonitis. Finnegan has had an up-and-down season. This is his age 31 season. He's older than you may think, although he's under team control through the 2025 season. Finnegan has demonstrated an aptitude for being a fireman, you know, a reliever who can come into a game with runners on base, with ducks on the pond, <laughs> as the saying goes, uh, and get out of the jam. He did this over the weekend, the 11-6 win at the Mets on Saturday night. 
Finnegan faced two batters, got two outs. He came into the game in the bottom of the eighth with runners at the corners, one out, and the Nats holding an 8-4 lead. And he retired each of the two batters he faced, including a swinging strikeout of pinch hitter Daniel Vogelback for the third out. Uh, a few other observations from the Nats losing three or four games at the Mets. More good stuff from C.J. Abrams as the Nats' number one batter. Uh, Abrams in this series was the Nats starting shortstop and number one batter in each of the four games. He did not have a big series in terms of hits, but he did have a good series in terms of like making things happen. Uh, just look at the last two games. The 11-6 win on Saturday night. Abrams went one for five with a single, but Abrams in what was a Nats four-run first inning reached base on a one-two pitch via a throwing error by Mets third baseman Mark Vientos, who I thought rushed his throw due to the speed of Abrams. So there you had Abrams on a one-two pitch, turning that plate appearance into a productive one by getting on base uh, off what I thought was him inducing a throwing error by Mark Vientos. And then Abrams in the top of the six had a leadoff single to right field. And then the 5-2 loss on Sunday afternoon, Abrams two for three with two singles and a hit by pitch. And he went three for three on stolen bases. Abrams is 24 for 26 on stolen bases in this regular season. How about what Abrams did in the Nats? One run first on Sunday afternoon, a leadoff infield single on a grounder up the middle of the infield on an 0-2 pitch. He then advanced two bases on a single by Jamer Candelario to right field. And Abrams then on a double steal had a steal of home for a one nothing Nats lead. Uh, Abrams in the top of the third had a one-out single to right field and a steal of second base. And Abrams in the top of the eighth drew a leadoff hit by pitch and had a steal of second base. Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday afternoon on C.J. Abrams. No, he's he's been really good. I mean, he's he's, he's understanding how to steal bases, which is awesome. So, um, you know, he's done really well up in that one hole, and he continues to do well today. I think he stole three bases today. So, you know, he's got he's got the leeway to run, you know, in situations. Um, but he's paying attention to detail, you know, which is great. And EY's been working on really really well on on uh, knowing who to steal off of, you know, what to look for, uh, things of that nature. So he's he's been very very good. Uh, EY is the Nats' first base coach, Eric Young Jr. Uh, C.J. Abrams now over 19 games as the Nats' number one batter. A batting average of 338, an on-base percentage of 395, a slugging percentage of 506. Uh, also, Riley Adams. This guy continues to produce whenever called upon. Uh, Adams in this series at the Mets played in just one game. He, for the 11-6 win on Saturday night, was an ad starting catcher and number eight batter. He went two for five with a two-run double and an RBI double. Riley Adams in this regular season has just 100 plate appearances, but also an OPS of 919. That is excellent. Uh, and I mentioned Mackenzie Gore dueling with Max Scherzer. Uh, well, McKenzie did get outdueled uh, by Max. Gore in the 5-1 loss at the Mets on Friday night. Three runs in five innings. Max in that game, one run in seven innings with seven strikeouts in what turned out to be Max's final start for the Mets. Uh, Gore on Friday night put a lot of guys on base. He, over the five innings, gave up five hits, a home run, four singles, issued four walks, and threw 95 pitches. He recorded just two strikeouts. Uh, Gore tossed four scoreless innings, was an out away from five scoreless innings, but he in the bottom of the fifth, allowed three runs. He began that bottom of the fifth by issuing back-to-back walks of the Mets' numbers eight and nine batters, Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez. And then Gore gave up a two-out three-run homer by Pete Alonso on a bomb to the second deck at left center field for a 3-0 Mets lead. The homer went a projected 
453 feet per stat cast. Uh, Gore has been up and down lately. Uh, he, for this regular season, has made 21 starts, ERA of 442, a whip of 145. Next up for the Nats, a three-game series against the Milwaukee Brewers at Nationals Park. Game one, Monday night at 7.05, Jake Irvin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday night at 7.05, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Wednesday afternoon at 1.05, Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. So the Nationals over the weekend faced the New York Mets. The Orioles over the weekend faced the New York Yankees. And the O's ended up having a good weekend, although uh, there absolutely are pitching concerns with the O's right now. The O's over the weekend won two or three games against the Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Friday night, a one nothing walk-off win in a game that started two hours and 32 minutes late due to rain. Saturday night, an 8-3 loss. But Sunday night, a 9 Three win on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball as the O's, Joe Angel, on national television were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. That is correct, Joe. The win column of the O's for this regular season now are 64 and 41, one and a half games ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. And the O's now, I love saying this, are nine games ahead of the Yankees who are last in the American League East. And yes, I did say that the Yankees are last in the American League East. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, the proper reaction to the Yankees being last in the American League East is ha-ha. Uh, the Orioles' offense in this series was not good in games one and two, uh, but was quite good in game three. So the O's in their one nothing walk-off win on Friday night totaled just one run, uh, just four hits, just one walk, went 0 for 1 with runners in scoring position. The four hits were a walk-off homer and three singles. The O's in this game got worked by Yankees ace Garrett Cole, seven scoreless innings. But yeah, uh, there was a walk-off homer. Anthony Santander, uh, he is the Orioles' starting right fielder and number three batter, went one for four, but the one was a walk-off, one-out, solo homer to right field in the bottom of the ninth. For a one nothing Orioles win, the homer winner projected 425 feet per stat cast. Also, Santander on Friday night in the top of the eighth with the game scoreless made a diving catch toward the right field corner of a leadoff lineout by Anthony Volpe. Uh, then in the 8-3 loss on Saturday night, the Orioles offense was bad again. The O scored just three runs, totaled just five hits, worked just one walk, went just one for six with runners in scoring position. Uh, the five hits were a home run three doubles and a single, but then came this 9-3 win on Sunday night. The O's busted out. The O's scored nine runs, totaled 12 hits, worked three walks, went five for 10 with runners in scoring position. The 12 hits were comprised of a homer, three doubles, and eight singles. The O's on Sunday night in the bottom of the first inning scored seven runs off Yankee starter Luis Severino. Each of the Orioles' first six batters 
in the seven-run first reach base. Uh, the O's in the inning had seven hits and a walk. This was some inning. Uh, Adam Frazier, he on Sunday night as the Orioles starting left fielder and number six batter went one for four with a three-run homer. Uh, Frazier in that Orioles seven-run first had a first-pitch three-run home run to right field for a 6 nothing Orioles lead. So Adam Frazier now in this regular season has 13 home runs. He over the three previous regular seasons combined, 2020 through 2022, totaled just 15 home runs. Uh, the O's has passed December signed Frazier as a free agent to a one-year, $8 million contract. And speaking of 2023 offseason acquisitions who are paying off big time for the O's, Ryan O'Hearn, another big game. He on Sunday night as the Orioles starting first baseman at number four batter went two for five with a two-run double and an RBI single. Uh, O'Hearn in the Orioles seven-run first, a two-run opposite field double to left field for a 3 nothing Orioles lead. And O'Hearn in an Orioles two-run fourth, a one-out RBI single to right field for a 9-2 Orioles lead, despite him having been down in the count at one point, 0-2. The O's has passed January 3rd, acquired O'Hearn via trade with the Kansas City Royals for cash considerations. And he, for this regular season now, has registered 197 plate appearances and an OPS of 870. What a bargain Ryan O'Hearn is proving to be. Uh, Also in this Orioles 9-3 win over the Yankees on Sunday night was outstanding bullpen work. How about this? Four Orioles relievers combined for five scoreless innings with 11 strikeouts. Just outstanding. Mike Bauman officially tossed a scoreless inning. Shintaro Fujinami tossed two scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Danny Coulomb, a scoreless top of the eighth with three swinging strikeouts. And Yanir Cano, a perfect top of the ninth with three swinging strikeouts. So the O's in the one nothing walk-off win on Friday night got nice bullpen work. Four Orioles relievers combined for two and two-thirds scoreless innings. The four relievers were Shintaro Fujinami, Yanir Kano, Danny Coulomb, and Felix Batista, uh, who in pitching for the first time in five days tossed a perfect top of the ninth with two swinging strikeouts. However, the 8-3 loss on Saturday night included four Orioles relievers combining to allow five runs in six and a third innings. Poor Cole Irvin. Uh, he got charged with four runs in one and a third innings. He faced 10 batters, but got just four outs. However, three of the runs charged to Irvin came on a two-out full count, bases loaded, three-run double by Isaiah Kiner-Falefa to left field off Brian Baker for an 8-3 Yankees lead in the top of the six. The uh, three-run double came on the 10th pitch of the plate appearance. Uh, and in that plate appearance, Baker had Connor Falefa down at 1.02. But Brian Baker officially tossed one and two-thirds scoreless innings with three strikeouts. Uh, it goes to show you how misleading uh, box score numbers can be. Sino Perez was good. He tossed two perfect innings. And now we arrive at the Orioles starting pitching and them winning two or three games over the Yankees. Well, let's start with this. Grayson Rodriguez in game one was good for a second consecutive start. Uh, Rodriguez in the one nothing walk-off win on Friday night. And remember, a game that started two hours and 32 minutes late due to rain tossed six into third scoreless innings. He gave up just three hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks. He recorded four strikeouts, and he threw a ton of strikes. He over 97 pitches through a whopping 70 strikes versus just 27 balls. And Grayrod in this game was throwing fire. Uh, he in this game had an average four-seam fastball velocity of 98.3 
miles per hour per stat cast. He threw his four-seamer on 57% of his pitches per stat cast. So, you know, he threw that pitch a lot, and yet still, he had an average four-seam fastball velocity of 98.3 miles per hour. However, uh, the Orioles starting pitching in each of the final two games of the series was not good. And the big worry really is what happened in game two. Tyler Wells struggling for a third consecutive start. Wells in the 8-3 loss on Saturday night lasted for just two and two-thirds innings. He allowed three runs. He gave up three hits, two homers and a single. And the two homers were bombs by John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge. Wells issued three walks and a hit-by-pitch. He recorded just one strikeout. He over his two and two-thirds innings threw 63 pitches. Uh, And the O's on Sunday afternoon announced that they, after Saturday night's game, optioned Wells to double-A buoy. Tyler Wells, who for so much of this season has been the Orioles' best starting pitcher. Tyler Wells, who for so much of this regular season has been number one among all qualified pitchers in the majors in whip. That Tyler Wells, he over the weekend got optioned to double-A buoy. Now, the idea is for Wells to undergo like a reset, uh, but be close to Baltimore to where he could soon rejoin the team. But still, I mean, him being demoted like this off him having been so good for so much of this season, uh, not ideal. Uh, And Dean Kramer, he in game three was not good. Uh, Kramer in this 9-3 win on Sunday night lasted for just four innings, despite the O's scoring seven runs in that bottom of the first. I mean, you get handed a lead like that, you got to go out there, throw strikes, work quickly, eat up innings. Kramer did not do that. He allowed three runs in four innings. He gave up seven hits, a homer, two doubles, and four singles. He issued two walks. He did record seven strikeouts, but he over his four innings threw 90 pitches. And so, with the 2023 MLB trade deadline, on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, and with the O's as the number one team in the American League. What could be coming for the O's? The O's are buyers. The O's are not sellers. What could the O's be shopping for regarding this trade deadline? Orioles Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias, he on Friday afternoon did a press conference at which he admitted that if the O's make a trade prior to Tuesday's MLB trade deadline, that trade likely will be for, yes, pitching. And right now, you could argue that the O's need both starting and relief pitching. But here you go, some of Mike Elias from Friday afternoon. Well, I think, you know, if we are if we are going to make additional acquisition trades, I would bet heavily they're going to be on the pitching side of things. Um, you know, I think it's no, no secret that that would be uh, the areas of the team where we could... A, either use more depth or, or B, look for upgrades. Um, so we're working on, on that right now. But um, this, this, you know, this stuff, I don't have total control over it. It's two-party um, transaction, and you know, there's a big market out there happening right now, and we're participating in that market, and um, we'll see what comes of it. But those are obviously the conversations that are first and foremost for us on the pitching side when, when we're looking to bring in help. Okay, not surprising, but certainly notable that Mike Elias flat out said that if the O's make a trade prior to Tuesday's MLB trade deadline, that trade likely will be for pitching. Uh, What about what Elias is allowed to do by ownership by the Orioles chairman and CEO, John Angelos? Elias on Friday afternoon addressed whether he buy a trade can add to the Orioles payroll. 
Yeah, we've had a lot of high-level discussions, planning, scenarios, and our baseball operations group has the wherewithal from the CEO, the partnership group, to make good baseball trades that could add to our payroll if we find them. So, again, I'm not going to make what I think is a terrible trade and force it just so we can point to something, but we we definitely have the flexibility to do that. I think that's great, and we're going to be considering opportunities. All right, so good news there. I'll say this, though. I don't want the O's making a trade that significantly weakens their great inventory of prospects. I'm all for trying to win now, and no doubt the O's now are a win-now team, but there are a few things to keep in mind. A, the O's are so young and have so many good prospects. The team is positioned to be great for years to come. It would be foolish to disrupt that in any significant way for the purpose of just this season. Uh, B, the O's and John Means, hopefully soon, will be adding a quality starting pitcher. John Means underwent Tommy John surgery on his left elbow on April 27th, 2022. Uh, Now, Mike Elias, in a session with reporters this past May 26, revealed that Means had strained the scapular region in his upper back while performing rehab work in his comeback from Tommy John. But the belief is that Means uh, could be pitching in the majors by September. And C, the truth with these MLB trade deadline deals is that the results for the buyers, the results for the contending teams are very mixed. I mean, there are examples of MLB trade deadline deals working out spectacularly uh, for contending teams. The New York Mets trade for outfielder Ioannis Cespedes on July 31st, 2015 is an example of this. But there are a lot of MLB trade deadline deals that do not work out for contending teams. Do you remember the Orioles trade for outfielder Gerardo Parra. <laughs> yeah, the baby shark, the guy who became a hero for the Nationals in their 2019 World Series championship season. Well, the O's on July 31st, 2015 acquired Parra via trade with the Milwaukee Brewers. Parra ended up doing nothing for the O's. The over 238 plate appearances for the O's had an OPS plus of just 69. 100 is league average. Parra was at 69. Uh, who'd the O's give up for Gerardo Parra? Starting pitcher Zach Davies, who ultimately had some good seasons for the Brewers, also had a good 2020 season for the San Diego Padres, although Davies has struggled uh, the last few years. This was Mike Elias on Friday afternoon on what a good trade for the O's regarding Tuesday's MLB trade deadline looks like. Um, I, I think anything I say here is going to be sort of pablum that you get from any baseball general manager. Uh, our jobs are we're trying to win. We're in first place. It's awesome. Uh, we want to make a deep playoff run. We want to get in the World Series, whatever you want to call it. We want to do that. But um, unless we have information that the world is ending in November, big part of my job is worrying about the overall health of the team over the next several years. So you just try to balance all those things. Um, We have um, tested methodologies that we've used over now three organizations to help us make those decisions. We're applying those to weigh the opportunities that come along. They know those methods help us weigh the impact of an addition for the 2023 run and the expense of that going out the door and then also how much you know we want to balance that against 2024 and 2025 and 2026 so you know i'm just saying like this is kind of the job um i think ultimately we're measured on the results of how all these things go over a several year period 
um, and it's really not easy to do or to get it right. Um, so we're just trying to take all that into account. Um, but clearly, if we, um, I think we're, we're going to want to sh- stretch a little bit and reach to try to help this really good 2023 team if, if we get within arm's reach of something. Well, in Mike Elias, I do trust. So we shall see uh, what Mike ends up doing. And next up for the O's, a four-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays. Game one, Monday night at 7.07. Kyle Gibson will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday night at 7.07. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Game three, Wednesday night at 7.07. Grayson Rodriguez will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And game four, Thursday afternoon at 3.07, the Orioles starting pitcher is to be determined. Uh, This is where Tyler Wells would have made a start. Perhaps a newly traded for Oriole will be making the start for the team come Thursday afternoon. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday's show, episode 623. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders. Also talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's on Monday night at 7.05 of game one of a three-game series against the Milwaukee Brewers in Nationals Park. The O's on Monday night at 7.07 of game one of a four-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Um, you know, I, I know there will be questions eventually about the new stadium and about, you know, potentially, who knows, a new name. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.